0: Thanks for joining Impact Boom on this episode.
1: Those are some of the obstacles is violence is a solution has been been the mandate. And so now we have to say humanity is the solution. And so that has to ripple out to everything and it, it has to permeate and people have to have the flexibility to make value judgments and human judgments.
2: Warning, this episode may contain themes some listeners may find distressing. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 22 If you are in another country other than Australia, please call your emergency services.
0: Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org, Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes.
2: Thanks for listening to episode 435 of Impact Boom. I'm Sarah Ripper, and I'm passionate about sharing positive, creative, regenerative, heart and soul-led initiatives, as well as ideas and those voices behind them with you. Today, we're speaking with Fritzy Horstman. Fritzy is both a respected filmmaker and Grammy award-winning producer and the founder and executive director of Compassion Prison Project an organization dedicated to creating trauma-informed prisons and communities and bringing accountability and creative inspiration to all men and women living and working in prisons. With 95% of incarcerated men and women eventually returning home, Fritzie believes it's imperative that we address the chronic mental health issues in prison with common sense, compassion, and urgency. In 2020, Fritzie directed the Step Inside the Circle film at California State Prison, Los Angeles County with 235 incarcerated men. The video has reached nearly 3.5 million views worldwide and has attracted over 900 volunteers to the CPP. Fritzy and the team have just finished creating a 16-part video and workbook curriculum entitled Trauma Talks, Which is currently being rolled out in prisons across the U.S. and abroad. On today's podcast, we'll discuss how childhood trauma affects the lives of people living and working in prison, as well as how Compassion Prison Project is bringing awareness, education, healing, and change to the prisons, both in the United States and beyond. Fritzi, fabulous to have you! Thank you so much for joining us. I'm super excited to explore your background and the amazing work that you do. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Sarah. So excited to be here.
2: Could you please share a little bit about your background and what has led to where you are today?
1: So I'm 61 years old and up until I was about 56, I worked in the film industry, mostly post-production, but My almost last job, I got to produce The Defiant Ones, which was about Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine, an amazing documentary, four-part documentary. In 2018, I was reading this book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And I was like, oh, that's why I act the way I do. That's why I'm nervous around my child. That's why I yell at him. That's why I, I have strange relationships with my friends and my husband. And then about a month after that, I walked into a prison. I was volunteering. And I realized that my behavior, my behavior was because of my trauma. Then these guys' behavior is because of their trauma. I met a hundred magnificent men, really magnificent men who were just, they had done something really terrible. And they were still humans. They were still viable. They were still exciting. They were still interesting and had something to offer the world. And I feel like with prison, it's like we've cauterized or we've cut off a part of ourselves. I left that day determined to change this, to determined to shift this paradigm, to determined to get these men help while they're in there and to inspire them and to help them remember who they are. So I did that, and I'm doing that. That's what I'm doing.
2: <laughs> you certainly are. And as I mentioned in the intro, for those who haven't seen the – I would say it, it went viral, that Step Inside the Circle video. I know I saw it a few years ago. And if you haven't seen that, listeners, definitely check it out. I think it cuts to the heart of some of the deeper things that we're talking about and being able to activate that empathy for people who maybe might have barriers to doing so in understanding what's going on for a lot of people who find themselves in prison can you tell us a little bit more about the projects that you're doing and the impact that it's creating?
1: Yeah, but I want to go back to the thing you said about some of some of our listeners may not be able to understand, you know, not have empathy for the people in prison. And what I'm learning about violence, which is basically what I'm faced with men and women who have committed violence, who are being... Taken away from society because of that, and it, with good reason. I think people who commit violence like that need a timeout, and an extended timeout. It, but I believe that it should be it should be a limited amount of time. When we are angry at people, we confuse our anger and our sadness about what an event is with this violent act that happened, and we want to blame somebody, and we want. It's a trauma response. The criminal justice system is a trauma response. The criminal justice system is built on being angry at this person. And so that's a trauma response that someone bangs into you. You want to bang them back, right? That's just the way we're built instinctively. Instinct- that's how we're going to. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. we get to our cortex, the part of our brain that makes us human, that makes us actually the, the creative part makeup? of us. Yeah higher nature, spiritual, the whole thing. When we go into that place, we realize, wait wait a second, this was a human. Then you dig deeper into this human and you find out violence was the only solution he was offered during his childhood. It was the only way. It was a programming that he went through. And given the circumstances, extreme poverty, living in a violent neighborhood, living in fight or flight in their entire lives, and then finding gangs as a way of feeling accepted, feeling part of something... Not that it's a good idea. I'm not saying that these are good ideas. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, i hearing you. Yeah. This is the trajectory. So then we yeah. we're angry at these people. We these people are people. These are our people. Correct. We're angry at them, and yeah. then we want we think punishment is going to do anything, and all it does is it, it's another form of violence that we are perpetuating in our society, and violence and trauma. Paul Conti says it so well. It is a virus, and until we stop the spread, it continues to be passed on. And what I like to say to the people, what happens in prison doesn't stay in prison. So you have officers, correctional officers with a life expectancy of 59 years old. You have children that are now suffering because their parents are in prison now and they're not growing up. So, you know, when we say these people, they need to be punished and they deserve it, we really have to get back into a, the part of our brain where we're not angry at them and when we can see them as the people and the divine humans that they are. Yeah. So now, back to the projects you want to know, <laughs> the projects that I have going on. So right now, we are in the middle of 64 Days of Nonviolence, um, which was started by the M.K. Gandhi Institute of Nonviolence, and it was started by Gandhi's grandson beginning on January 30th, which was the day Gandhi was assassinated, until April 4th, which is the day Martin Luther King was assassinated. And so if you go on our website, if you go on our YouTube or Instagram, you'll see testimonials by the men and women in California prisons that are practicing the principles of nonviolence. And I think today is humility. Today, the word is humility. Yesterday was, I can't remember. I can't remember all the days, but there've been some amazing testimonials from these men and women from prison about doing acts of nonviolence. And so there's 64 days, and we're going to culminate on the 4th of April. Right now, we're working on getting a concert going and a spoken word and a dance recital for the people that have been participating in one prison. I mean, there's... So there's seven prisons participating, and there's been a trickle of other ones. And Valley State Prison, they already did 66 days of nonviolence last year, just to get the ball rolling. And so that's one of our projects. We have a curriculum that we just finished called Trauma Talks, which we are piloting throughout California, throughout the United States. And we're also doing a pilot. We're going to do one in in Scotland and in Northern Ireland, but we've done three successful pilots in New Zealand. And, you know, hello, Australia. That's all I can say is uh, we need you guys to figure out one or two prisons we can pilot in your country and let's get this going because Australia was one of the first penal colonies there ever were. There's a legacy there of wonderful humans who got exported to Australia, who created a nation and a a flourishing nation with people that used to be incarcerated. So let's continue the trend and the people that need timeouts in Australia, let's bring them home in good shape. Another project we have going on is called Messages to the Youth. So, if you ask somebody in prison, anybody, what do you want to do when you get out? And I'd say 97, maybe 98% of the people will say, I want to help the youth so they don't end up in prison the way I did. 97% of the people I speak to. So, I said, okay, then let's start. We're starting, we're building a website. We have entries from prisons all over the United States with messages to the youth. We've recorded videos. So, we're putting all that together so that One, we can get the information to the youth, but also so people in prison can really start seeing that they can have an impact in the world, that they're not just Mm. sitting there doing nothing with their time. Because the thing about time is it's sacred. And most of us have forgotten that. We sentence people to life without parole. We sentence them for 50, 75 years to life. I know this person who committed the crime had no regard for the person that they committed the crime for. But I I think it's incumbent upon us that we have regard, that we as a society model what human decency is in our sentencing and in the way we treat people who come to prison. Because once we treat them better, it has a ripple effect. Like I said, what happens in prison doesn't stay in prison. And this is a ripple effect. And we think that putting a prison four hours away from Los Angeles is going to keep the dysfunction away. But no. There are families that live in Los Angeles, their loved ones are four hours away. So now they got to get on a bus and spend the very little money that they have just to connect with their loved ones so that there's some normalcy in their lives. That's one of the principles of Norway It's normalcy, is normalization. People in there starting to roll this out in California. So the ideas of normalization is you don't want someone returning that's institutionalized. You want them to come back and, oh, yeah, I'm going to go shopping. Or, yes, it's morning time. I'm going to make my breakfast, not have a tray served to them. I'm going to make my breakfast. I'm going to get ready for school. I've got to do my laundry. I think I'll watch TV tonight. I'll do my homework. So the things that you would do in normal life, you do in prison. And so you're not in a cell. I know one guy, he got out. He was lying on his bed. He woke up in the morning, and he was waiting for someone to open the door for him, just the way that people in prison sit there and wait for the door to be opened. We get programmed, and we need to deprogram them, and we have to be intentional the way we're treating people. The life expectancy of an officer is 59 years old, and so I'm 61. That's two, I'm two years in past the life expectancy of someone working in a prison. Not acceptable. These are humans as well, Right. And so it's a whole dehumanization system that we have got to get under the hood and rewire.
2: Yeah. I'm very curious on how this has been received by those who are working in prison and what kinds of changes you've seen with them or responses you've had.
1: At San Quentin, which is the trial zone for this California model, I went up there to film some of the 64 days of nonviolence up in San Quentin, and they had a media center, and they had the guys film it and edit the material for me to take back with me. There were a few road, road bumps, but still, I have content that was created by the men living in San Quentin. And then that same day, I went and worked with 50 men to do a compassion trauma circle, like on Step Inside the Circle. And by the way, 4 million people have seen that already, or probably more. And it's shown in schools and clinicians see it, and it's shown in prisons as well. That same day, we did a circle with the incarcerated men, and three of the officers participated in that circle. And I got a letter from one of the prison residents, and he says, we need to do this healing work for the officers, too. He wants to do a class with the officers and facilitate a class for the officers. So that's how they're starting to think. And then another day, I was on my way to another prison, and one of the officers from San Quentin called me, and he said... I need your advice. I want to I want to raise some money for a food pantry for the people in prison that are living in prison that can't afford basic needs. There are people, I know. So this came from an officer. That was just I was like, "Okay, the tides are changing because he's starting to think about a man living in prison that isn't doing well, not thriving, and how can we help?" And this is on a larger scale. So I said, "Let's go. We'll raise the money. We'll figure this out. We have to figure this out because When you take care of that man that can't afford enough food or can't buy soap, can't buy shaving cream or whatever it is, whatever it is that you just take for granted, when he can't have that, he's not in a good state, right? You're not, when you're hungry, you're not in a good state. Your amygdala is overactive and your body is saying you're in threat. So you calm that state. You get that state, that aggravated state out of the situation. Suddenly you have a man in his cortex thinking about what he can do, right? How he can make the world a better place. But you cannot make the world a better place if you're worried about you're only getting one tray of food tonight and it's not enough. And so to have this become a proactive, interactive dynamic in the prisons, it blew my mind. And so that's some of the changes that I'm seeing at San Quentin. And this is this was initiated by Gavin Newsom, who's the governor of California, But these kinds of changes are happening in all little pockets of California and throughout the United States, I hear of good little things. People are reaching out to me for our curriculum. We have, it's a 16 week curriculum and it's making huge changes in people's lives because they didn't know they were traumatized. People don't know they're traumatized. And this is the way I'm yelling it through the rooftops. I'm just going to prison saying, dudes, you're traumatized. Let's figure this out. The big thing I say to them is what is the story you've told yourself when you're getting hit by your parents? What is the story when you're being neglected? When your parents are fighting, what stories do you tell yourself or did you tell yourself? And they get to see. And so they start saying, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Nobody loves me. I deserve it. So these are the stories and the brain patterns that are being programmed into their minds. And I got to say I had the same programming programmed into me. And it wasn't because my parents didn't love me. It's just they were told the same thing. And so this is a generational interrupt that we're embarking on here.
2: Yeah. And as you say, like, we all have our conditioning, our patterning, and our meaning making from things that have happened to us. And for some people, that's very acute based on their childhood and their various life experiences that they have had or not had that shapes the person that they become. Absolutely. So I know you've mentioned a few of them, but what are some of the biggest challenges and opportunities that you're seeing to create this trauma-informed, nonviolent, and compassionate space in the world of prisons?
1: I'd say what the biggest challenge we're facing is the violence as a solution. Violence as a solution for the people that live in prison. Violence as a solution for the people that are working there. For the administration, this is all ingrained and in, in embedded into the system. I met a man in, the other day and he had said he's getting transferred to a, a more violent prison. And I said, Why? He says, They found a knife in my cell. And I'm like, Why? He says, Well, you know, I'm, he was a little guy. He had one eye, just really vulnerable. But the thing is, they find a knife. Obviously, we can't trust you. We got to put you in a more violent place. I said, Go to them and say, Just please give me another chance. But so that's the thing is, The system is so tightly, it is just impenetrable with these rules. And if X happens, Y happens, and there's no gray areas. There's no human intervention here. It's all black and white. And the black and white is the, the big problem because it takes the humanness out of the whole thing. It robs the officers of the power, and it robs everybody of this power. The word fair has to be injected into this like is it fair to send this man to a more violent prison this little short little vulnerable man no it's not fair this is not fair those are some of the obstacles is violence is a solution has been has been the mandate and so now we have to say humanity is the solution and so that has to ripple out to everything and it it has to permeate and people have to have the flexibility to make value judgments And human judgments, they have to say, no, wait a second, we need an override here. They they do do overrides in California. And I'm really just dealing with California right now, but it is one of the biggest prison systems in the world. There's over 100, about 95,000 now that are incarcerated in the state of California. So that's what we're dealing with. And so that's the challenge. And then some of the opportunities, my organization has blossomed in the past five years, There's more grants for us. More doors are opening, although there are a couple that are jammed shut still. I'm I'm still looking for that key. I'm like, come on, let me back in. But Mm. I go for the low-hanging fruit. If they say, come, I'm there. There's just no question. I think the real opportunity here is for hearts and minds, is to really start asking people, first off, before you judge this person, before you've decided that this person is not redeemable, When you were 15 years old and you did some shenanigans, which we've all done, and you got caught, haven't you changed in those 15 years since you were 15? Haven't you completely become a different human? Your prefrontal cortex has grown in, which happens at, they say at 25, but I would argue it's 33 based on the guys I used to date. And so we know that men take a long time to develop. Violence is exciting. Violence gives you that rush and violence gives you that sense that you have power, you have agency over your life, even if it's for a few minutes. That's the thing we have to understand when we're sentencing people. These are children. These are children that we're incarcerating for decades. And every person I know is different than the... You know, when I was 15, I was shoplifting and I was dealing marijuana, that which was illegal. Here I am, mostly, I'd say 97% living with integrity and living law-abiding, tax-paying, serving our public. And if you had incarcerated me, that would have thrown it all out. You wouldn't have me. And how many of me, how many me's are behind there that we've thrown away? Let's reclaim ourselves. That's what I'm saying. Because those are brothers, those are fathers, those are our husbands and wives and sisters. And they all deserve to take advantage of this great earth and this great life that we've been given and this sacred life that we've been given. That's what's up here. We deny the sacredness to somebody. We deny it for ourselves, too, because now we're living knowing that this person is not thriving. We can't justify it because by justifying it, this is violence that we're perpetuating. Justifying poverty, justifying incarceration, justifying any kind of violence is justifying violence. Justifying violence is destroying the self. We know there's shame embedded in justification. My mother would say, "I only slap you when you're crossing the street," which is not true. She lied about that too. so she's lying. And then she's justifying her violence. It's a skewed. And it, what I've come to understand is violence robs us of our authenticity, because the authentic self does not want to hurt. If you read about men going to war, they have to be trained to kill somebody. It's not innate. We are not innate killers. Violence is not innate. And so when you say that, so yes, somebody's in prison is it they seem to have innate violence. It's just been programmed. But you go in and love them and tell them they're amazing and that they are divine humans and they oh, have value. The it's a different game. And the game changes immediately. I'm changing the game every day. I walk back into prison. Every time they pick up one of my workbooks or watch my curriculum i created a video curriculum so they can see me cuz they know i'm i'm serious about their transformation this is it this is we're seeing the planet enraged we're seeing the violence from the planet right it is just a reaction from the violence that we have put into it and the thing is this is the thing it's about vulnerability nobody wants to say i'm wrong but that's the algorithm If we want to change this world, we have to own up to what we've done and make the shift. That's it. It's not, oh, and now you have to hang your head and you have to march around and do this ceremony of blame. No, just take accountability and let's change it. It's, I forgive you. And I think we all have to agree. There has to be a blanket forgiveness. Everybody, we screwed up. We got to clean up this mess. We got a big mess to clean up. This seems to be this delay, but this is the solution. We have to be accountable. We have to say I'm sorry, and we have to move forward. And it all happens in the present. The minute you're into the, in the past, look what you did. Look what they did. I'm not. I can't be accountable. You're back in the past, and there's nothing being created. Yep. But you stay in the present. Say, look, I did this. I'm sorry. Let's move on. Now you got a fresh start. What can we do? Then you're in your cortex instead of in fight or flights, trying to find somebody to take responsibility. We're all responsible, so we're yep. all forgiven. How's that? Yeah. Bam. High five.
2: (laughs) I'm totally high five. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, there's so much I want to say, but we're on a timeline. (laughs) I know. (laughs) What are some inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across that you feel are creating really positive change?
1: There's a few. I love Defy Ventures. They go and teach people how to become entrepreneurs. Anybody that teaches meditation or yoga, or just anything to help them metabolize their trauma. It's so important, yeah. and I really like what we're doing. But we're teaching people about their childhood trauma, that they're not bad people, and there's a way out of this. And the thing about, for your listeners, how many of you have been traumatized? Do you know what your adverse childhood experience ACE score is? I'm gonna go list the 10 adverse childhood experiences. I have eight of these. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical neglect, emotional neglect, parents or caregiver addicted to drugs or alcohol, parents or caregiver divorced, mentally ill or suicidal, household member going to prison, domestic violence and parents divorced or separated. So I have eight of those. 64% of the men and women we surveyed have six or more of those. And that's 64% of unimaginable trauma. And then we're not even thinking about traumatic brain injury. 85% of people in prison have traumatic brain injury. There's living in foster care. There's living, being homeless, living in a violent neighborhood. So I have eight of those, but then you add those. So that's constant toxic stress, fight or flight every day of your life. So now you understand, and then they get to understand. They get to say, oh, yes. wait a second. This is why I'm like this. Yes. yes. And this is the brain science. Exactly. And it gives them a sense of who they are. It gives them... Like, oh, I'm not so bad. And my brothers are all in the same boat that I've been in. This is why we're here. It gives them a reboot that they never knew they had. So everyone in Australia needs to know, because here's the thing about Australia, penal colony, right? Everyone was traumatized arriving, right? Because they were committing crimes. The violence that the people that founded Australia have in their in their DNA and in their generational trauma. So this isn't just for the people in prison. This is for everyone. Violence was the solution, right? So here we go.
2: And a reminder also that violence does not just mean physical violence, right? So people might think like, oh, well, I'm not violent or I don't come across violence and there's more subtle versions of violence or less in your face expressions of violence uh institutional violence passive aggression Um, like we can go on right
1: passive violence and gandhi says allowing for passive violence ultimately allows for physical violence and being criticized to the brain is like having a tiger in the room right right we can't tell the difference. It's all a threat. All violence is a threat to our nervous system. All violence creates reactivity and stress. Mm-hmm. And it's, and then we have to get back to accountability. I yell at my husband and I'm like, oh God, I I don't, I really think I'm right here, but I am not going to do that. I'm going to go and apologize. I'm going to do it. And so who cares? Who cares who's right? As Brene Brown says, you want to get it right? You want to be right or do you want to get it right? And it's time we get it right. It's just time. We got to just forget it. Let the ego lose for once. Say you're sorry and move on. This is the thing. It's We're all in a vice of being right and the the two sides of the political spectrum. But it's like, no, just give it up. We're losing the game. And we're all in this together. And the planet is giving us a lot of feedback right now.
2: Yeah, you know what's coming to my mind is uh, Wayne Dyer. There's no justified resentments, mm. which
0: the ego an, hates.
1: There are no justified resentments, right? That's in my curriculum. That Wayne Dyer was saying that. Yes, there are none. There are none because it holds the whole planet back. Right. And the thing is, Gandhi says this: "Be the change you want to see." But it it's really true because the more I become apologetic for my behavior the less the fascia and the tightness in my relationships, they dissolve. And so when I'm just, I'm over here dissolving my bullcrap, right? I'm, it's dissolving. And that's helping other people n- not need to be so right as well. So it really is about your own work. That work will help change the world. Because when we all decide collectively that criminal justice, the way it is not working, it'll become just an obvious thing. But we all have to make that decision, and we all have to live that decision. That change in the world that we want to see has to be lived. And it's true. I was in a hospital the other day. My husband was having some surgery, but a man put eight splendors into his drink. He's abusing his body. So that in itself was betrayal. But he was also betraying me because he wasn't taking care of himself, right? So it's weird. It's weird, but he is part of me. So I said something. I mean, that's how I am, though. But I'll go up and say, you cannot put eight splendors in your coffee. You can't do that anymore. Tomorrow, you have to put in seven only. His destruction is affecting me. And that's what we have to see. The homeless man in the street, that's my brother. That is my brother. And his decisions are affecting me. And my decisions are affecting him. And so we have to really get the connectivity of all this and it's incumbent upon all of us. It's not just like the seven people that you hear about. It's you, 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 and you, you get to change and you get to change and you get to (laughs) transform. I like to use.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Fritzie, to finish off all of these fabulous words of wisdom and insight, what are some books or some resources that you would love to recommend?
1: Okay. Well, I got, they're all on my website as well, but off the top Best, the, uh, Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score, Anything by Gabor Mate, Oprah Winfrey and Bruce Perry's What Happened to You, Nadine Burke Harris's The Deepest Well, Donna Jackson Nakazawa, Childhood Disrupted. God, there's just so many more. But also like, learn about brain science and Robert Sapolsky's behavior. We've got to figure this out. And also do some biohacking for yourself, like learn about the right foods you should eat and the, the good water you should be drinking and start really getting interested in becoming dynamic and exciting and healthy and do your exercise. Don't betray yourself. I started lifting weights. It's changing the way I feel like I'm faster in my walks now and um, I'm teaching myself piano. But don't betray yourself. If you make a promise to yourself, do it. Just do it. And Phil Stutz, oh yes, Phil Stutz. That's the book, Lessons for Living. Oh, please get that book. It's such a great book. And anything Phil Stutz wrote, he says, we're either living in the lower channel or we're activating higher forces. And the way you activate the higher forces is by acting in constantly. It's instinct, action, consequences. It doesn't matter if they're good or bad consequences. Just get out there and do it. Learn the piano, do it. Make a promise to yourself and do it. And that's the thing that'll get you energized. The The universe will support you. Mm. And it's supporting me. My life has changed. I got to just say, these five years have been the best years of my life. And they have changed my life to a degree I would never imagine. I have more energy. I have more passion. I have more resources. I've met more celebrities. It's a dream come true. And it's just because I care about people and I'm expressing it and I'm acting and I'm taking action. And get off your chair. Let's go.
2: I think we should just end it right there. Boom. I don't even <laughs> even... let's end the podcast with Fritzy saying that because there's nothing else I can say. <laughs> Fritzy, incredible. Huge respect. And mm-hmm. I know that you're working with so many amazing collaborators to help realize these potentials and to help us all collectively play our part in this awakening and this understanding that what we do to others we're doing to ourselves many times and thank you so much for that
1: thank you and thanks for letting me go ramble on as i told you i would (laughs) thank you sarah